When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? It is Ricky LeBlue, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for TechSideline.com. Welcome back to another episode of the TSL Podcast. We took a one-week hiatus last week because there were some snow issues here in the NRV. I know that uh, Will and Chris, who you guys both drive rear-wheel cars, or rear-wheel drive cars, correct? Yeah. And it did not work out well yeah, for either of you, did no, it? I, I, at this point, I've known, <laughs> just figured out just don't even try. So basically what you're saying is you need to get another car that for the has, winter, that has some all-wheel drive and just have two cars. Yeah, maybe. That's uh, no. that's not gonna be a problem for it's you, not right? Not a problem. <laughs> you can just work for home. You know. Yeah, my my problem is that uh, live up in a neighborhood where the roads are private and they just didn't get uh, they didn't get plowed, didn't get paved, plowed. I always say paved. I don't know why I do. <laughs> all right, so let's go ahead and move on into the meat of this podcast, and we're going to start with Virginia Tech's win. Over North Carolina on Monday night, this was really a huge win for this team. Really just in terms of the season, because things were not looking good after that Florida State game. Um, Tech beats number 10 UNC 80-69. to um, Chris, you were there covering the game for TSL. Uh, Will, you were in the stands for this game. Um, that's the best this team's looked since when? Oh, since the last season at some point, I would say. Uh, the best, the the best, best they've looked against good competition. Best Although, they've looked, yeah. The second half of the Iowa game was pretty good. It was. It was. And there's really only two times this year this team has played good defense against good competition. Yeah. And that was uh, the second half of the Iowa game and then the entire game last night against North Carolina. It really seemed like North Carolina was frustrated offensively all night long. Outside of Luke May and, and Joel Berry, UNC went 8 of 28 from the field, mm-hmm. which is 28.5%. Right, and even that's not very good. <laughs> Barry had Barry had a good shooting night, but he also had I think five or six turnovers, and had and some of the shots he missed was just really bad shot selection. Uh, and I thought Tech's defense really frustrated UNC that they didn't get a lot of clean looks all night. And uh, I just, UNC shot under forty three percent from the field for the night, and, and they shot thirty two point three percent from three. Yeah, and uh, you know Bibb said after the, he told me after the Florida State game that. I asked if he was concerned or worried about the two of four start. He said he's not really concerned or worried. That's not what he's feeling, but he was feeling a sense of urgency. And they played like they had a sense of urgency. They did. Last, they really did. Last night. Roy Williams said that. He said that Buzz had his guys really ready to play last night. There was at no point when I was watching the game last night on TV where I felt like UNC was the better team. No. From, from start to finish, I felt like UNC – looked sluggish, yeah. looked disinterested, and it really showed in the second half when Tech just really kind of slowly pushed them away and pushed them away and UNC pushed them away. UNC does not look physically like they used to look. I mean, your teams with your Tyler Hansbros, Bryce and guys Johnson. like Bryce Johnsons, 
I mean, there were guys playing for UNC last night that, you know, I just, they don't look the part wearing UNC uniforms. Virginia Tech physically was as or more impressive than UNC last night, just when you get off the bus, so to speak. Luke May is their best player, and yes. he was a three-star recruit. And right. in basketball recruiting terms, a three-star recruit is right. like a two-star recruit in football. Right, sure. Um for your and, power and, five teams. You know, and he's limited. He's I think he's skilled and he knows how to use his body to clear out. Yeah. Um, but uh you know, he's not he's not particularly athletic and and I thought he was going to eat tech up. He goes out and scores 10 points in the first 6 minutes and and it looked that way, you know, and he it, had a it couple was, threes. Yeah, and at one point it was 30 to 24 UNC and it looked like this was going to play out like Tech's other recent losses where they get out rebounded, they're not making enough shots and you know, then they just went on a run. They went on a 15-2 run to close out the half. And to the point of UNC not looking like they were the better team, I think the only reason they stayed in it at all once the second half started was that Tech missed a lot of open shots they early really in the second did. half. They really did. That, that kept UNC in it. Yeah, you're right. And uh, it was a seven-point deficit for UNC at halftime. And then you look up on the clock, UNC made a three at the 9.59 mark of the second half. And that made it a seven-point deficit again. So they had gone ten minutes with Virginia Tech missing wide open shot after wide open shot, and and could not Still, could not cut yeah, into the deficit couldn't, at all. Couldn't close again. Yeah. They had that one uh, that one little run where I guess it was Barry, was it Barry that made two three pointers two in, a in a row? Yeah, yeah. And, um, I I felt I felt good the whole time about Virginia Tech winning. Uh, but at the same time, I was thinking the only way Tech's going to lose this is if they just continue to try to give it away by not making shots. And yeah. then you get down. I, I got. I went after I went home last night. I watched the broadcast. I just hung out on the boards and watched the entire broadcast. And with about five minutes left to go, I think it was Sean McDonough said, "You know, Roy, Roy Williams has this look about him that he knows it's just not their night." Yeah, I remember and, that comment. Yeah, and, and Billis basically said, "Yeah, they're." They just don't have it tonight. They're getting out worked, out hustled, out played, and and uh, Tech opened it up over uh, shortly after that. Tech opened it up to eighty to sixty four. Really quick, can we talk about how good of a play by play guy Sean McDonough is? You know that broadcast last night was outstanding. I've watched outside of the halftime show, which didn't show any highlights, and I actually tweeted about that last night where they they were they were talking about. UVA winning the ACC, which is fine because that's irrelevant. And then they wanted to talk about Trey Young in Oklahoma. Yeah, the Trey Young. There were the zero, Young hype zero was highlights from that first half. None. Yeah. Um, and and even in the Trey Young hype machine even went on and on and on while while they were doing the yeah. And, and the hype train still game. starting. To, it's starting to fall apart at this point because people are realizing that really his usage rate is kind of ridiculous. And yeah, but that's not going to stop ESPN. Um, fair enough. <laughs> but so anyway, I've I've watched a lot of tech basketball on television and. And I've even, you know, watched some UVA games like when UNC – I can't remember who it was UNC was – excuse me, UVA was playing recently. It may have been UNC, and it was the same day as a Tech basketball game, and I wandered into Campus Emporium, and there's a free sponsor plug. I wandered into <laughs> Campus Emporium, and they had the game on, and I walked into Campus Emporium, and the first thing I heard was Dick Vitale's voice. You know, and so to, to listen to McDonough and, and Jay Billis do the game – was a pleasure. There was a little bit too much teasing about being bald and that sort of thing. Buzz's hair, yeah, and then Buzz's wardrobe change. But it, but it was it was generally pretty clever banner instead of the dumb stuff. Buzz got his there. own camera there for about four minutes. Yeah, <laughs> no, I got a kick out of that about watching Buzz run it. I, I haven't watched the the broadcast for, from last night, but uh, you know McDonough has always called some of uh, 
the great Virginia Tech moments. In yeah, the past. it seems like, like he has. Yeah, I think the the Nebraska game with Tyler oh, yep, Taylor. Oh yeah, that was that was McDonough. So funny you should bring that up because I think the first Virginia Tech game McDonough ever did was the nineteen ninety football game between Tech and UVA. Uh, that uh, UVA had been ranked number one at one point in the season. They were starting to fall apart, and Tech beat them thirty eight to thirteen. And I clearly remember Sean McDonough doing that game because the one call I remember was. Uh, we, we, Tech had a tight end back then named Greg Daniels, number 85, and he was probably more the Bucky Hodges type of his day. He was a better receiver than a blocker, and Tech sent him downfield, and, and Will, Will Fuhrer hit him with a like a 40-yard touchdown pass that, that Daniels just laid out in the end zone. And I remember Sean McDonough and that Sean McDonough voice going, yeah. bu, 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 bu. great catch by the <laughs> tight end, Greg Daniels, you know. I can't do a Sean yeah, McDonough yeah. impersonation, but McDonough's pretty uh, pretty unique in his his voice. You know, I uh, during the Tech Kentucky game, I, I went to the bar to watch that game, so I didn't have to listen to Dick Vitale. It's 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 awful, um, uh, and it's embarrassing to ESPN that they would put somebody like that on television. I know Dick Vitale knows basketball. The guy used to be the head coach of the Pistons, for goodness sakes, right? Hey, Detroit Pistons. Right. And it's it's the same thing with uh, uh, Lou Holtz. Right. Lou Holtz can be smart and call a good football game, but no, he's got to be a clown in the booth. Right. You know, he's not as bad as Dick Vitale or even Bill Walton, you know. You, right. know, who's, you, you know who's getting up there but is still really good on the broadcast in basketball? Who's that? Hubie Brown. Yeah. I, I really enjoy listening to him talk about a game because nobody breaks it down better than Hubie Brown, in my opinion. He's always been really good at it. And he's another guy kind of like Vital, former coach, longtime broadcaster, but he still is, does a really good job of right. breaking that stuff down. But one of the big things from this game that I thought, and I know, Chris, you're working on an article about this, was Kerry Blackshear stayed out of foul trouble all night. Mm-hmm. He had one personal foul. He played 33 minutes, uh, 16 points, and five boards. Um, to me... And we've all talked about it, and Chris, you kind of brought this to our attention, that not only is Blackshear um, Tech's most valuable player in terms of him being the only real big on the roster, but he's their best player in terms of his player player. efficiency. Player efficiency rate, uh, he's number one. Uh, There's another stat, I forget the name of it, Uh, floor impact counter, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that's it. And he's by far the best player on the team with uh, Justin Robinson coming in second in that one. I think Ahmed Hill came in second in the PER. Uh, But, but yeah, if you look at Blackshear against Kentucky, Kentucky outscored Virginia Tech by 14 points in the 22 minutes Blackshear wasn't, or excuse me, in the 18 minutes Blackshear wasn't on the court. In the two tw- in the twenty two minutes he was on the court, Virginia Tech outscored Kentucky by seven. The Syracuse game, you know, he only played thirteen minutes in that game. In those thirteen minutes, Virginia Tech outscored Syracuse by three. In the in the twenty seven minutes he was not on the court, Syracuse outscored Virginia Tech by fifteen. That's a big uh, difference. You, you saw early in the Florida State game, early in the second half, uh, that was a three point game at halftime, and. Blackshear picks up his second foul early in the second half, within the first minute. Florida State goes on a seven to two run, or seven to three run. They bring him back in. He picks up his third foul, so they take him out, and then Florida State goes on a seven to two run. So they extend their lead from three points to double digits early in the second half when he gets into foul trouble. I mean, it's it's just a completely different team. Uh, and I actually feel kind of bad for him because some of these fouls he's getting called for are just kind of ridiculous. Yeah. And he, he also has a propensity to foul early in the second half. 
there, there's six games that I looked at. Uh, St. Louis, Ole Miss, Kentucky, Syracuse, Florida State, and Wake Forest are the games he's gotten in foul trouble. Either either gotten in foul trouble or fouled out completely. Yeah. And in every single one of those games, he had at least one foul called on him within the first minute of the second <laughs> half. And, and even last night, UNC – I remember watching Florida State. I think it was Florida State where the second half started and they went right after first Blackshear. play. May is on the inside. They threw it goes up first shot, and I'm like, "Oh God, they're going to call a foul on Blackshear, and it's going to go all downhill." Now, one thing I did see last night: some of the conversation on the boards, and I agree with this, is that the refs let them play last. They night. did, and I have seen Blackshear get called for the armbar foul on defense, where he puts his arm out yeah. in, in the offensive player's yes. back. I saw him do that last night, and they did not call yeah. it. And and honestly, I know this is homerism, but I I think a lot of the stuff that gets, gets called against Blackshear is Mickey Mouse. Mm-hmm. But last night they didn't call Mickey Mouse Correct. stuff on him. Yeah. But you also have to give him credit. Uh, he the thing I think he's starting to learn is you don't need to be a hero. You just need to stay in the game. Yeah. Yeah. And really. Yeah. A lot of his defense last night, his arms were very vertical. He wasn't reaching out. He wasn't even really jumping or moving his feet. Because he knows you got to let some of them go and, and live to yeah. play another minute. Uh, you know, once you get the ball into the post, defending the post is about denying the guy the ball. Yeah. Once he catches it, I'm not going to say it's over, but the chances of him making the basket. Yeah, right, grow right. Up all, all, what you need to do is just stand there with your hands in the air. Yeah. Get your hands up and, right. and hope he misses. Yeah, and you should play. I mean, your number one focus should be denying him the ball to begin with. I mean, that's how you stop the post game. So Tech is fourteen and six now overall. Three and four in the ACC. We had talked about how getting a top fifty win was really important. I know it was a it was a home top fifty win, but it's a top fifty, top 50 win nonetheless. Um, how important was this win? Not just in terms for the resume, but in terms of getting this team on the right track. You talked about it, that Florida State game. They felt like they had they 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 really needed to get things going, or things were kind of tanking. If you looked at the TSL message boards after the Florida State game. Fans were not very enthused about the the direction of the team. There was a lot of questions about what things what what things were going on, but now it seems like there's definitely some more momentum as they you know continue to to get through this ACC schedule. You know, there's a big cement wall between the Virginia the new Virginia Tech locker room and the hall that's between the locker room and the media room. So there's not a lot of sound gets through there. Um, you could hear the team celebrating in the locker room last night from the media room. Uh, so they were fired up last night. Yeah, uh, Buzz coached fired up. The team played fired up. That's as fired up as I've seen Buzz on the, Bu- on Buzz, the sidelines Buzz has been, all season. Buzz has been very subdued the last couple years. Uh, the energy that Zach Liday and Seth Allen brought last year helped the team. It, it didn't matter. But I, I think Buzz, Buzz has told the media before that the way he's coached in the past, there's no way he's going to be able to coach till he's 50 years old if he keeps acting like that his whole career. Uh so I think I think it was a, I think it was a, yeah, and I think it was a concerted effort on his part to slow down, maybe slow down a little but, bit, so he could extend his career. But I think he he's figured out that he has to coach that way with this particular group of guys. Yeah. He's he's always made comments. He's, he's what is he? Is this his fourth year now? That's right. He made comments. He has made comments about figuring out what each team needs. Mm-hmm. So I think he's trying to balance his own health and sanity yeah. with providing the team what they need. Correct. He may have gone a little bit too far last night. It worked, but whew, he was exhausted now, now, after they got no, 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 He said, I'm exhausted, yeah. to the media afterwards. Buzz was catching a little bit of flack for walking onto the floor at that one point. And <laughs> he, actually, he thought it was a TV timeout. And that wasn't his fault. The ref told him that there was going to be a media timeout after that basket. Yep. 
and then there wasn't. And right. then, of course, Roy Williams and the staff are wondering what the heck's going on because yeah. the you know the, the it's still a live ball. But uh, so so let me let me go back a little bit. There, there's always a lot of talk about the resume, but for me, my big takeaway from last night was the process and the formula. Right. Uh, I think if you concentrate on the process that the resume will take care of itself. And Buzz talked about after the game, they sat and they just watched a lot of film of their defensive lapses. After the Florida State game. You Florida mean. State game, yes. yes. Not, not, the, not the UNC game. And, uh, you know, he, he talks about uh, the, the energy that they need to bring, all that. I think, you know, basketball season is long, 30, 35 games. Yeah, it is. Months on end. And I think there's a tendency of fans, and this is understandable because you know we as we as writers and journalists do it too, to take a look and look at what you just saw and think that it's going to stay that way and be that way, and it's not, you know. And and another thing he talked about last night was he talked about rebounding. You, you know, UNC. We've we've said this in the stuff we've written. UNC was the number one rebounding margin team in the country. And one of the top offensive rebounding teams. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, Virginia Tech out rebounded them 36 35. But so if you look at the ACC stats, even after this game, uh, UNC is a plus 10.2 and Tech is a minus 5.9 in conference play. And that includes the game they just played. Yeah. So that was an outstanding effort by Tech. And Buzz said, I always tell my guys to take up space, but I told them to uh, I know, uh, win, the, win the something. Don't just take up space and block out, but go after the ball. You yeah. Know? And he complimented Akil Alexander Walker on that, and and they were just just a, just a really good strategy, a really good effort last. Yeah, night. I think basketball. Um, I think every you know every team in the ACC has a really good coach. Um, it's rare that you that you have a game where one ACC coach out coaches the other. In my opinion, yeah. it's all about who gets his team ready to play the most. If your shots fall, how well you recruit, blah blah blah. You know, I don't think most ACC coaches are are, are going to out coach. They're going to cancel each other out over the course of eighteen games, and it's come going to come down to players. Um, and I and I think what's been disappointing for Virginia Tech this year is it just doesn't seem like this group of guys until last night comprehended how important it is to play defense. Yeah. Um, they scored 86 points against Kentucky and lost. They scored 84 points or 86 points against uh, Louisville and lost. They scored 82 points against Florida State and lost because they didn't play defense in any of those games. They didn't play a lick of defense. Last night they played defense and they scored 80 points and they won by 11. Yeah. Um, and and I, I think – I don't know exactly where I'm going with that, but – Sometimes you need to see tangible evidence. Uh, I think this team kind of fell in love with uh, scoring a lot and really focus a lot on that part uh, of the game. And, 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 and when you lax off a little bit in a the game, their natural inclination is to drop off on defense more so than offense. But I'm a little bit frustrated because I know what Virginia Tech is capable of doing. Uh, and I look back at that Kentucky game, and Kentucky's a good team. But they're not dro- as good as they, normal. They're, no, they're not. They've dropped out of the top twenty-five. They're four and three in the SEC. They'd be in the bottom of the half of the ACC right now if they were in this league. <laughs> um, they, they've got NBA players, but they don't have that surefire lottery pick that they've had in the past, like Wall or Cousins or, or anybody like that. I think uh, Virginia Tech with, with Kerry Blackshear on the court, not in foul trouble, and a Virginia Tech team that cares about defense is a better college basketball team this year than Kentucky. But 
Virginia Tech has not had those two things in every game, particularly their losses. They haven't had a team that's cared about defense. They haven't had Kerry Blackshear out there all the time. When both those things happen, they're very capable, as they showed last night. So what we're going to find out going forward is whether last night was just one little moment in time. You know, is it going to be like the 2003 Miami football game? A great moment in time, yeah. but they didn't they didn't capitalize on it and use it to build on, to build and move on to bigger things. Uh, is that is this basketball team going to be able to do that? I think it's really interesting that you mentioned them falling in love with scoring. I think part of that is the culture that that was surrounding that team early on in the season. Mm-hmm. If you go back and look at the social media account for this team, and this may be nitpicking, but bear with me for a second. If you go back and look at their, their their posts at the beginning of the season, they were all about how Tech was the number one scoring offense for what a certain period. Yeah, they and, I was, and I was how, too, so I'm not going to fault them. Okay, yeah. but yeah. they were because the, there's 351 they teams were, we're talking. Yeah, about. that's a that's big deal. Impressive. I know, but 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 they they it's almost like they were ignoring their faults, right? To only talk about those things, right. and I, I wonder if that culture didn't start with the with the social media team or whatever. I wonder if that culture was starting with the team. I wonder if that was permeating from the team to the staff surrounding the team to the staff that does their promotions and all that stuff. Well, they made the NCAA tournament last year despite being ranked, what, 270, 280th in defensive efficiency? Yeah. So they were a darn good team last year without playing a lick of defense all year. And... So, on paper, I thought this team was going to be better defensively because guess what? They lost their three worst defenders. <laughs> and that includes Ty Outlaw, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ty Outlaw is the worst of them all. Uh, and then, you know, Lede and Allen uh, were, were not good defenders, <laughs> to, say, to say the least. Uh, so, that, I thought that's this... That's the punch-in-the-face moment of the, of the podcast. Right. And, and but no, I, and don't get me wrong. Every player has his strengths and weaknesses. Well, defense was those guys' weaknesses. <laughs> uh, now, they were, they were tough kids. They were uh, good scorers. They were good scorers. They were good leaders. Uh, you know, Not Seth, Allen, Seth Allen was clutch, man. I love those guys, but they weren't great defenders. Uh, they weren't good defenders. <laughs> and I thought, I thought, I thought this team would take a, a step back offensively, but I thought they'd take a big step forward defensively. And until it's the kind North of, Carolina game, they hadn't. Until the North Carolina game, they'd been kind of the same. They'd been marginally better, probably defensively, but not enough to make a difference. Meanwhile, you know, even when they were having tough shooting nights offensively, in some of those games, they were still scoring over eighty points. Yeah. So uh, I mean. Yeah, they'd have a bad three-point shooting game against Florida State. But guess what? They shot still shot over 50% from the field, scored 82 points. You score 82 points, you should win. You score 86 points at Kentucky, you should win. You score 84, 86 points against Louisville, you should win. Um, there's no reason to not win those games. Uh, if you were playing just average defense, yeah. you win those games. So Virginia Tech has Notre Dame left on – or not left, but coming up next on at the schedule. Notre Dame, Saturday. At Notre Dame, Saturday. January 27th. 8 o'clock ESPN 2. ESPN 2. So no excuse not to watch. Yes, definitely. And and, and I don't want to dig too deep into that preview because I know that we all haven't done a lot of research into Notre Dame, but without Bonzi Colson Mm -hmm. on that, without him being healthy, Notre Dame has not been the same team since he went out. You know how I look at that? I I thought Bonzi and and Zach Lede kind of canceled each other out. Um, Bonzi's they're, crazy good. They're yeah. similar, but Bonzi is a more balanced player. Bonzi's even shorter fair. than Lede, if you think about it. I mean, Bonzi's like 6'4", 6'5". <laughs> and uh, he's a center. <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, it's uh, it's crazy. That guy does not look like a college basketball player. Um, but doesn't, he's doesn't really look like good. a good college basketball player. No, he player. looks like he be, should be playing for a low major team. Yeah, he looks not like even a, a mid-major. He looks like a power forward for UNC Greensboro. 
or or Radford or, or somebody but like instead, that. Instead, he's the center for Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a really, and he's a darn good player. He's a really good player, and and you know any team is going to miss a, a player of his caliber. Um, now we'll see. I mean, Mike Bray is an excellent coach. Will they learn how to play throughout the course of the season without him? Or, as Seth Greenberg said, will they play their way out of the NCAA tournament? We'll find out. Yeah, Seth definitely said it last night, and that'll be something to look for. So for one, guy's got a, one guy has a score to settle is Justin Robinson. He's got a score to settle with uh, Farrell of Notre Dame. What's Farrell's first name, Matt? Mm-hmm. Remember what happened last is year? Is he still playing for him? Or was he, he just... he, I think pretty sure he's still playing okay. for them. Okay. Or, or there's a guy that looks a heck of a lot like him. Okay, for him. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't seen him play yet. That season. was the one where J-Rob rolled the ball up the floor in yeah, Castle. Yeah, I remember watching yeah, that. So. I, I believe I covered that game. What, 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 yeah, you did because I was at it. <laughs> what did Tech end up losing by like five or six points? Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that was yeah. a critical. That was Tech, late Tech was going down to try to mm-hmm. take the lead. Yeah. And boy, that was the end of that. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to the Virginia Tech football schedule, which was announced last week. And again, I'm sorry that we didn't get to this last week, but all the, the weather down here in the NRV made it a little difficult for all three of us to get here to the magnificent, beautiful studio here in Radford. Um, so, all right, well, let's go ahead and run through the schedule really quickly. We, we, we don't have to spend too much time on the specifics of the schedule, but there are some major key themes that I think we need to hit on. So, obviously, uh, Monday, September 3rd at Florida State to open the year. That's a primetime slot on ESPN. Uh, William & Mary, East Carolina at home, back-to-back weeks. Then they encounter their first back-to-back road trips of the year at ODU and at Duke. Those are both Saturday games. Then they get Notre Dame at home October 6th inside Lane Stadium. And then they go to North Carolina on October 13th. That's also a Saturday. Then they get their bye. And then they get kind of the meat of their home schedule, really. They go at Georgia Tech on a Thursday night in Lane Stadium. Boston College Saturday in Lane Stadium. At Pittsburgh, Miami at home, and UVA at home to finish the year. And one of the things, and Chris, you did a really good job, I think, kind of summing up the big key points from the schedule in the column, which came out right out, right out really after the schedule was released. One of the big takeaways that I have from this is the lack of mileage that Tech is going to have to travel in this game. And, Chris, you really pointed this out well in your story. I've forgotten the numbers. I, I have them, I have them okay. right here. In 2017, Virginia Tech traveled 5,550 miles. And that's both ways. To and back. To and from. To, to, to their road games. Um, this year, they will travel 3,308. So that's a 2,242 mileage difference. Yeah, that's a that's huge. It's partially because you know they're not going to Miami, they're not, not going, going to BC, Boston, yeah. they're not going to Atlanta. Those three trips in one year, yeah. are a lot. And plus, they play seven home games this year, so it's it's one fewer road trip. But re- but, but how much does that really kind of add up? And I think the, over I think the, the wear and tear. I mean, I flat out say it. The worst game Virginia Tech played this past year was at Georgia Tech, and they looked flat. And, and they, it was they didn't right look after the Miami game. It was game. after the Miami game. And Which they already had tra- travel issues yeah, if coming you, back. If you recall, they didn't get home from Miami until three past 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon because they ended up having to land. They had to make a, a landing in Greensboro, I think, to, to refuel. And then they ended up landing in Tennessee somewhere and then busing back to Blacksburg. And that was after they, trying to land in Roanoke multiple correct. times. <laughs> they, 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 they lost a day of preparation. You're Josh Jackson. You're that point in the season. Uh You've got you got your fractured foot. You've got your sprain throwing shoulder. You got your sprain throwing elbow, and then you're in the air at forty thousand feet for like six hours, flying all over the place, you're trying on to get a home. Long it's, bus. Flying is un, flying is uncomfortable. It is unless you're flying first class. And when you're doing it, hurt as a football player. Uh, you're a bigger guy than most people. It's just it's just an uncomfortable feeling, and and it's a lot of wear and tear, especially after a long trip. 
to, to Miami, and then you lose a day of prep. And you know, I don't think it's a coincidence they came out and and, and lost to Georgia Tech the the, the next week. Uh, well, I was gonna say, speaking yeah. of the Georgia Tech game, Tech gets a bye before Georgia Tech this yes, year. They do. Uh, it, it's kind of a, it's not a full buy because it's a buy and a half because it's a thir- or a week and a half really instead of two weeks because it's a Thursday night game. But Tech's lost to, to Georgia Tech three out of the last four years. Yeah, and that has to change if they want to start. It has to, right? Yeah, if they want to start consistently winning the Coastal Division again, that has to change because, you know, Miami's good. Uh, yeah. They're going to be a much more consistent program. Even if they, uh, even if they're not an undefeated team into November like right. they were this year, they're still going to be a, a, a really a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're a team that, that can beat Virginia Tech anywhere, whether it's in Miami or in Lane Stadium. So you've got you've got to start beating Georgia Tech because if you lose to Miami and then you lose to Georgia Tech, you're probably done. Especially uh, if you have a year where, like this year, right, you have a Florida State. That is also on the schedule. Right, I know Florida exactly. State has a new coaching staff, and I want to get into that in a minute. But that's another potential loss because that's right. a tough co- crossover. Opponent. Yeah, absolutely. You know, right now you could lose to Miami and still win the Coastal Division uh, if you beat Georgia Tech and go seven and one because you know Miami could get upset and lose a couple games. Uh, that, that's happened before in two thousand five. Yeah, Miami beat Virginia Tech in Lane Stadium in the biggest game in Lane Stadium history. Virginia Tech still won the Coastal Division because that was the only game they lost all year, and, Mi- and Miami lost to Georgia Tech on the last weekend, I believe, of the of the regular season or next to last weekend, and. And Virginia Tech uh, went on to the ACC championship game, uh, but you got to start beating Georgia Tech again. Will, are you? How much are you not looking forward to that opener at Florida State? Yeah, you know, Tech fans are going to like this, but uh, I'm going to pick the Hokies to lose that one. Um, you know, FSU's just got a ton of talent. They'll have Fred Swab back. This thing's on the road. I mean. I see a lot of talk on our boards. Tech can win that one. Tech can win that one. And I mean, they, 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 yeah, they, they can. can. Sure. Yeah, sure, they can. But, you know, everybody talks about how bad Florida State was this year. Well, they mailed it in. Yeah. You know, they, yeah they, they, didn't, did. they didn't play, play anywhere they, after they came. They gave up on that coaching staff. Uh, it, and I think that's one of the reasons that Jimbo Fisher's now coaching if, if, in if you listen to Texas Bud, A&M. If you listen to Bud Elliott, who covers Florida State, who I think seems to be their most knowledgeable beat yeah, writer Yeah, type. he's pretty sharp. Yeah, he uh, – Flat out said that the players quit on Jimbo, and a lot of them were going to transfer if Jimbo had come back as head coach. Yeah. So they went through this whole season playing for a guy that they didn't want to play for. So uh, They want to play for Willie Taggart. Uh, and the problem is so you're going to see a bunch of Florida State guys that you've never seen on film in a new offense. Yeah. Uh, or in Taggart's offense, at least. They're going to have the, their quarterback back. And, you know, Florida State has more talent. And in general, you're not going to beat a more talented team that's on, on the road. I mean, coaching only – takes you so far. Yeah. I mean, this what, this is we, not at noon on a Saturday. This is at 8 o'clock at night. Monday night primetime game. Exactly. You're not going to catch Florida State napping or anything like that. Virginia Tech's going to go into the game. That ranked. Florida gonna State's going to be gonna, busy. Yeah, right. Exactly. Florida State's going to take the game seriously. They're going to be out to prove a point. Right. They're, they're, yeah, because everybody questioned them this year, as they should. Yeah. Uh, they, they question – people question their – their manhood, they questioned their dedication, and they questioned everything about their entire program. And, you know, if Willie Taggart's smart, he's going to point that out to them the entire offseason. Yeah. So my, my biggest thing I wanted to say about the schedule, it's a, it's a couple things. Number one, uh, as we wrote and said, it's hard to imagine the schedule being laid out better yeah. than it is for Virginia Tech. Uh, Miami has to travel to Georgia Tech. The week, the Saturday before they have to travel to Virginia Tech. So the ACC did uh, 
did the Hokies a favor there. So, so, so Miami has back-to-back trips to Atlanta and Blacksburg. Yeah, yeah. so it's kind of like it's opposite of last year. It's tough. Yep. So, and the other thing, not that this matters a lot when you've won 14 in a row, but UVA has to, I believe, travel to Georgia Tech the Saturday before they travel to Virginia Tech on a Friday. Yeah. So – I can hear it next year when the ske- when the 2019 schedule comes out next year. There are going to be some things we don't like about it, and you're going to hear people say on the message boards, "Man, the ACC always <laughs> screws Tech over." Nah, and you're, you're, I'm going to post ahem and link to the 2018 schedule. Yeah, the, yeah. the only things you can really complain about is the two trap games. All right, you've got Pitt, um, and I, I forget Pitt's a trap game, and who's the other trap game? Duke. Duke. Um, and I, I don't remember where they lay out on the schedule. It's been so long. Well, well, a week has been so long since I've written So Tech article. is <laughs> at ODU, at Duke, and then home against Notre Dame. Right. So they've, they've got at Duke the week before they play Notre Dame. And then they're, I guess, Pittsburgh. Pitt, Pittsburgh is in between at, Boston College and Miami. At Pitt the week before they play Miami. So those are your two trap games. But, I mean... Every every team's schedule has a trap game. Per yeah, say. yeah. Uh, you can find a trap game in every every yeah. schedule for every Power Five. And team. you can nitpick and say Carolina has sixteen days to prepare. Uh, you could give Carolina sixteen weeks to prepare, and I don't think they beat Virginia Tech this year. Uh, <laughs> and it's at North Carolina. I don't so care that it's at it's North not Carolina. It's going to be half full full of Tech fans. Yeah. Um. So I just think uh I think it sets up pretty well. Um. I don't think Tech's going to win that first week. Um. I don't like playing a game like that in week one unless Tech, unless you win it. If you win it, it's great. But if, if not, it's just you start out the season with On people questioning note, yeah. things. They question recruiting. They question coaching. They question everything about the entire team. If Tech wins that game, that that will really make the next four oh, or five yeah. weeks, four weeks because you have William & Mary, ECU, ODU, and Duke, That'll make the next four weeks hype central. Oh, you're going I mean, undefeated going into going over into Notre Dame. Well, possibly you're going in, assuming you get past the Duke trap game. Yeah, but yes, there's a good possibility you're going un, unbeaten into that Notre Dame game, which sets up oh a top ten Virginia Tech team against what could be a top ten Notre Dame team. Then you're talking game day in Lane Stadium again. You know, and well, this I, time for Notre Dame. Well, I, I'm so, happy yeah. you mentioned game day because another note I had on here. Uh, Tech already has a couple guaranteed primetime games this year. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Florida State game, we're pretty sure the UVA game is going to be a primetime game. Georgia like the Black State. Friday game. Georgia Tech. There's a chance Tech has five primetime games this year, four of which are at home. Right. When Good. was the last time Tech had that many True. night games in Lane Stadium? Or... Just played that many night games in general. Yeah, that, that's a good. That's a that's a really good. Now, question. see if you had asked us this yesterday in preparation for the podcast. <laughs> answer. Chris could have wowed fans. I am. I, I've always said I am really but, good but, but, at the, asking the you last, guys questions with no no preparation. <laughs> the, I guess the, the last time Virginia Tech played a seven or eight o'clock game, Saturday night game, was Clemson this year. But before that, maybe you've got to go all the way back to North Carolina in two thousand five. Yeah, because they the, played Clemson at six o'clock, I think, on ESPN two in twenty eleven. Correct. The, the NC State game was a Friday night game. It was a Friday, and night then game. the Ohio State game was a Monday. Yeah, we're talking pure Saturday games. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. So yeah. I mean, so, so yeah, so Tech's going to open the year at FSU. That's prime time. Notre Dame at home. That's a. I, I'm not sure how the TV contracts are going to work with that because I know that Notre Dame. Well, Notre Dame when Notre Dame plays on the road, it's the home, it's always okay. the home team's TV okay. contract. Okay, well, the game will go. not so be on NBC. Okay, so there you go. That's a great chance to tech or not a great chance, but there's a chance that that's a primetime game if both of those teams get off to good starts. Georgia Tech guaranteed. Miami in Lane Stadium. If Tech, yeah, 
If well, Tech well, is able to to go into that game with one loss, and Miami know. goes into that game with zero or one losses, yeah, I mean, hey, I, now wait a minute. That that weekend that Tech and Miami play each other, isn't that the weekend where the SEC teams play all their FCS opponents? That is correct. Uh, where yes, all, because yeah, that's Auburn and, and Alabama will be playing your Jacksonville States and and to yeah. to give each other a, an extra week playing Wofford. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's going to remove a lot of competition for a yeah. prime time slot. That's right. And then you have UVA to finish the year. So I'm not going to assume that all five of these are going to be prime time. Obviously, a couple of them are guaranteed, but there's a chance it could be all of these could be prime time yeah. games. Yeah, it's it's a chance, you know, depending on how the teams and that's do. A, and that's a great chance for yeah. Virginia Tech too. I know that they're losing a lot of pieces coming into this season, but there's a chance for Virginia Tech to really make multiple statements on right. national television something that this program hasn't done since when uh since a, a long, 2014 a long ohio time. state right, right. and yeah. even then the season didn't go all that great yeah sure exactly yeah. um I, well you know i think uh beating west virginia this past yeah, year yeah 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 that's fair that's, season, yeah that's fair uh it's the first time virginia tech has ever won a, won one of those early season big non-conference first games. time they've won in fedex right yeah yeah i guess that's right and that gave him a nice tailwind for the season. Absolutely. You know, it made a couple other things possible. Yeah, it the, made the Clemson game possible, made the Miami, the Miami game. game And possible. if Tech beats Florida State, it would have the same type of effect. Exactly. Except it would be even bigger because it would be an ACC win. Exactly, yeah. Well, that and Florida State presumably will be right. ranked top 15 well, next but, year. The, it, Tech would be 1-0, and and Miami would still have to play Florida State and come to Blacksburg and yeah. go to Georgia Tech. Yeah, so it would true. give Virginia Tech a leg up, a, a, a huge leg up. Yeah, I, I mean Virginia Tech would be the odds-on favorite to win the Coastal Division if they beat Florida State that open. The one thing about that Florida State game is that yeah, I know that you're going to have to face Willie Taggart's offense with no film with those players in that offense, and with but no Tremaine Edmonds and Tim Settle. Yes, but you're <laughs> but you're also going to catch them with no prep. Yeah. I mean they're not going to have a chance to to work out the kinks. Uh, you're you're right. And I and I'll say this, Virginia Tech's coaching has been outstanding in the month of September the last 2 years. Uh because teams don't really have film on Tech either to tech, a certain and yeah, you, you and, saw how good Tech's offense was against West Virginia this year. You said you saw how good their offense was against Tennessee last year when they weren't dropping the, the when they game. weren't dropping the ball, they were going up and down on, on Tennessee's 14 defense like, in the first like, quarter. Yeah, like Tennessee wasn't even there. Yeah. So yeah, I think Tech's coaching has been awesome to start each of the last two seasons. So you've got to take that into account as well. Although Florida State, you're you're going up from a talent level quite a bit there. Definitely. I think that that's about all we can say in this schedule. Before we wrap up the podcast, I do want to hit on the two interviews that I was able to do with Tim Settle and Wyatt Teller. Went down to Atlanta, caught up with those guys, spent the day with them, watched them work out. They're preparing for the NFL draft down there at the Chip Smith Performance Center in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and I, I know you guys have both read the stories. They're for subscribers only. If you're a subscriber, you're listening to the podcast, you haven't read either of those stories, go read them now. You need to do that. They're great pieces of content, I think, not to toot my own horn. Um, on Wednesday, we're going to have another piece that'll be a free piece of content that's going to talk about their pre-draft process. But these two stories right here, I want to get into them. Let's start with Timmy. Um, Tim's decision to go pro was criticized by fans. It was criticized by media members, including us. I think we need to be honest about that. Um, but I, th- I think after going through and reading, or not for me, going through and talking to Tim, listening to him, listening to him describe it, um, I, I at least understand the the decision process now. Even sure. if you may take all those factors and come to a di- uh, come to a different conclusion. You know, uh, Tim flat out said in the interview that his goal the whole time was to be three and done. Yeah. 
Um, he was very open and honest about that. So, barring a bad injury or a bad season, he was going to go pro. And it doesn't matter to him what round he's projected to be drafted in. As far as he's concerned, he's an NFL player, and it doesn't yeah. matter if he's taken in the first round or the fifth round, he's going to the NFL. Yeah. So there was never really any talking Tim Settle out of going to the – the NFL draft. That, that's what I took out. And that's and that's something that Tech tried to do. Tech the the Tech coaching staff what tried to you know to convince Tim Tim to come back. I know that Fuente says publicly that he wants to provide information to these guys. Mm-hmm. But it, 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 you know if you think he's not trying to get these guys to come back, you're kidding yourself. Because of course Justin Fuente wants Tim Settle starting at mm-hmm. defensive tackle against Florida State to, next to, to Ricky Walker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> next to Ricky Walker, mm-hmm. but. Um, Will, what were some of the takeaways from from the Tim Settle piece that really stood out to you? One of the things that got said about the the early departures, in a general sense, not necessarily Virginia Tech, but in a general sense was, and I think we said it, Chris may have said it, and I don't disagree with him, is that these kids from the time they're recruits get a lot of smoke blowing up their butts on uh, yeah, Twitter. For it's sure. The social media thing where they get all the love on Instagram and Twitter and probably on Snapchat. I don't, I don't know how much – they put themselves out there on Snapchat, but depends on who you are. I know Tim Settle's very active on his Snapchat. Yeah, <laughs> they they get a lot of love, they get a lot of sunshine blown up their hineys, and that makes them think they're better than they are. Um, that is not the case with Tim. If you read your interview with him, Tim, it's actually it's actually the opposite with Tim. I've had people doubting me my whole life that they doubted I would qualify coming academically coming out of high school. They doubted I could lose the weight at Virginia Tech. They doubted I could put up these kind of numbers. So his attitude is actually the opposite. Yeah. I'm used to people doubting me and criticizing me, and I've always been able to prove them wrong, and I'm out to prove you wrong again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, I'm the greatest, of course I'm awesome. You know, yeah. That's not his mindset at all. So I thought that was interesting. I'm glad that I'm glad he's taking those things and using them as kind of a chip. Um, I, I do think he misconstrues criticism as, oh, you're not supporting me. Oh, I that, think that word hate, the haters. Right, right. I, I, I think I, of, I think he made the wrong that. decision. And I don't think he made the wrong decision because I don't think he's an NFL player. I think he will make the NFL. And I think he will have an NFL career. I think he would have could have made at least a couple million more dollars if he had stayed, stayed it for another year. Yeah. So that's where I think he uh he's making the he's making the wrong decision. Yeah. And and I, I uh I, he he's talking about maximizing earnings by going in a year early. But, you know, he can maximize the earnings more so. I mean, most guys don't have a 9- or 10-year NFL career these days. Yeah, uh, He's taking you, the... Yeah, you, 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 you're a year quicker to your second contract, I guess, so to speak. Yeah. But if you even make it, most guys don't even make it to their second contract, to be quite honest. I mean, you need to be thinking about your first contract and, and how much you make on your first contract because you never know if whether there's going to be a second one or not. Yeah. And I think he's leaving a couple million on the table. See, there opinion. you go. Doubting Tim Settle. Doubting Tim Settle. <laughs> uh, now, if Tim Settle's drafted in the first couple rounds, then then that's fine. Then I think it will have been worth it. Now, we'll, uh, we'll just have to see if that happens. Now, I support Tim 100%. I mean, I hope Tim does great because I've always – Thought Tim well, was yeah, a great let me guy. jump in here and say we've all interviewed Tim. And he, we like Tim. Great. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've written numerous times how much I admire Tim for overcoming the academic difficulties, overcoming the weight weight loss issues. I'm not doubting Tim Settle's determination. I have no doubt that he's going to make the NFL. I just think he's costing himself money. There are um, any any rational Virginia Tech fan or just decent human being will w- would wish Tim success in the yeah. NFL. Unfortunately, you do have that section of every single fan base 
that wishes ill will on these guys because they left the team. That we saw this with Gerard Evans last year. Yeah. How there was a small segment of the fan base that got really nasty towards Gerard, told Gerard that he was going to be no good, that he was terrible, he wasn't as good as he thought he was, and they hope he sucked in the NFL. Yeah. And obviously he's you know not well, on a roster right now, but you know I, I I do think that some players do kind of misconstrue you know people saying that I think you would have benefited from another year. But I still hope you have a great career. Thanks for everything. I think uh, I don't agree with doing that, no matter who it is. I, I think it. There's no way I could do that. Something I could see anybody doing that to Tim Settle, or at least I, I could never understand someone doing it. Yeah, yeah. Because, well, it, because, because it's Gerard, not rational. It's not rational. Yeah, right. And and Tim's a state of Virginia guy. He, uh, he loves Virginia Tech. He was a uh, he was a mid four star kid all, with offers right. from every single school. Now, granted. And he talked about this, how some schools backed off because of his academic issues. Mm-hmm. But he had offers from just about everywhere. Yeah, he could have gone to Georgia or somewhere yeah. like that if he wanted Washington to. Washington State right. was on the list. Gerard was here for one year. Gerard went to three different colleges in four years. Gerard's a mercenary. Uh, you know, Gerard is not one of those guys who's going to come back after five years just to go to a Tech game because he loves Virginia Tech. Uh, you know that that Gerard doesn't strike me as that type, so I can see people not feeling that closeness with Gerard, and then after he bounces after the year, that where they're just like, "Man, you didn't care anything about Virginia Tech. This this, this was just your meal ticket, or what you thought was your meal ticket. Uh, turns out it was not your meal ticket at all. Uh, yeah. So so I, I could see people getting a little. There, there, there was, there was never Gerard. any sort of bond formed with Gerard. There was never any, any sort of bond. Well, it's hard to do I'll, that when you have a guy that leaves and, after and, one year, and, and that's I, an issue with I'll, I'll, I'll admit, I was mad at Gerard. And I, I didn't get on his Twitter and stalk him and tell him he was a moron or anything like that, like some of these crazy <laughs> people do. But I was mad at him. I thought he was hurting himself, and I thought he was hurting Virginia Tech. And, uh, you know, and Settle's hurting Virginia Tech by leaving, but I'm not mad at him at all because, I mean, he's going to go to the NFL. I'm convinced he's an NFL player. I never thought Gerard was an NFL, was an NFL yeah, player. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, nobody did. Uh, nobody did who knows anything about the NFL. But that being said, you didn't wish ill will. No, on Gerard. Well, well, of course not. You exactly right. because you're you're a rational, right. well, well, rational but I, person. But what I'm saying is, it's easier to quote wish ill will on somebody that you feel no connection with at all. Um, mm. Now he's not justifying the behavior. Let's I'm not be ju- clear. I'm not, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not justifying the behavior at all. But you know, Gerard was was a mercenary, and 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 that's that, fair. And and that's that's the thing. Well, these guys are going to go to or go into the NFL. They have to be ready for that. Yeah, because, because, because the NFL is, you is know, they're all mercenaries. Absolutely. Yeah. That's just the, what the NFL is. is. So if you can't take that at this level, then maybe you shouldn't be in the NFL at all. But uh, Bud Foster always says the NFL stands for not for long. Yeah. <laughs> and that, and that's exactly true. Uh, I, the, the, the Wyatt Teller piece, I think, was really interesting to me because um, Wyatt, Wyatt has never really been doubted as much as Tim Settle was, but that doesn't mean that Wyatt – has hasn't had things to overcome. He's had um had overcome a position change. He played for two different head coaches, he played for three different position coaches. Um and he dealt with two strength coaches, one of which those strength coaches he was extremely close to, Mike Gentry. And he was able to fight through all of that. He got benched as an upperclassman, multi-year starter, redshirt junior, and he was still able to finish his tech career strong and on a good note. And I think that he'll be viewed favorably, you know, five years from now. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, 
I think when, when you look at Wyatt Teller, he looks like somebody who plays for Alabama or Florida State or USC or somebody like that. You know, when he was except the, the hair, yeah, right. <laughs> well, well, uh, that, that's USC. That's that USC if you think about it. But uh, I remember when he was being recruited, and I thought he was the best offensive lineman I had seen that Virginia Tech had been recruiting ever since I'd been covering Virginia Tech. And Except Tech wasn't he wasn't even recruiting him as a Technically DL. weren't even recruiting him as, as an offensive lineman. So I, I, I've always loved Wyatt. I think he's the most physically dominant offensive lineman when he's own that Virginia Tech's ever had. I mean, Jake Grove was a great player. Uh, you know, uh, Jim Pine was a great player. Dwayne, Dwayne Brown was a great player. But when Wyatt Teller got his hands on somebody at the line of scrimmage, I don't care who you are, it's over. And uh, He actually talked about that in the interview, yeah, how he yeah. said now, that the hard uh, part for him was always getting his hands on somebody. Yeah. Don't sell Jim Pine short, man. He wasn't nearly as well, big as Okay, Wyatt, yeah, see, I was 10 dude, when he graduated, so you might have to. So I, w- I will tell a story. Um, in 1993, when, when Tech went to that first Independence Bowl, they clinched that bowl bid by beating Syracuse 45-23 to in Lane yes. Stadium. And that game was out of hand by the early fourth quarter. I knew Tech was going to win. So I specifically, for the first time all year, watched Jim Pine block. And he was nasty. He, yeah. he, he, would, he would get his hands up underneath the jersey of the opposing defensive line uh-huh. or linebacker and just drive him five or ten yards backwards. Now, he was only – I know when he came to Tech, he was only 250. He started I, at tr- as a true freshman at center at Virginia Tech at 250 pounds, which should show you how much of the game has changed oh, in the yeah, last 25 years. If he yeah. had had Wyatt Teller's physique, yes. holy That's what cow. I mean, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. he was nasty. Yeah. One of the interesting things about Wyatt's story, too, was his recruitment and how um, really UVA and Tech were his top two options and how he almost had to be kind of convinced that, that, that Tech was a better option. And once he kind of, quote-unquote, saw the light mm-hmm. – uh, he, he he kind of saw some of the issues that that UVA is still facing on the recruiting trail in terms of their culture and their atmosphere towards the football program. And I liked how he talked about how important James Gale was in his recruitment, a guy who um, you know obviously played at Tech for uh, four years, was a three-year starter, um, you know a, a player that most Tech fans will remember from that time period. And he talked about how important James Gale was in getting him the, getting him in Blacksburg. Yeah, and you know I was actually at that camp and I heard Wyatt Teller. Taught, was talking to other recruits and he was telling them how much he loved Mike London and you know Mike London was a cop and blah 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 you know tech fans have all heard did that you story. know Mike London was a cop yeah did you hear that uh, but anyway uh <laughs> man I'm like oh you got to be kidding me because already Wyatt Teller was like my favorite recruit ever because I thought he was a dominant player and he was exactly what the program needed. he was he was six, so, five, and I'm so, two, 62, 70. he was just physically dominant if you if you watch him on film which you need to do I don't think you have yet I I've not seen okay. White Teller it's, high school it's, film it's awesome but, but <laughs> at any rate uh, I was I was losing my mind at that camp I was like We're, this guy's going to UVA and it's and they're gonna fail as a program because Mike London's not a good gonna get a good coach and. It's not a good coach, and Wyatt Teller's going to waste his career. So I was freaking out. And finally, Gail comes over there and starts talking to him. And uh, and Gail was basically his host that whole visit. And, and it was after that visit that things changed. He went from the perceived UVA lean, which I think he was at the time, uh, to a Virginia Tech lean. And by the end of his recruitment, I don't think it was all that close. And uh, you know, I think it was James Gale that day who got that process started. Wyatt talked about how um, he took – uh, I think he's, he he remembers seven unofficials to to mm. UVA and three to Tech. Yeah, just because right. UVA was less than Closer. an hour away, he yeah. said he could hop right on twenty nine mm-hmm. and go into Charlottesville, and boom, he was there. He could spend the day there. Um, but I thought the the really funny thing was he talked about was that 
just about everywhere he had an offer from, he could hunt and fish. Well, <laughs> he could hunt and, fit, hunt actually, and fish from just I, about anywhere. I actually had a friend a few years ago who uh, went to high school with Wyatt. And uh, uh, I'm not going to say the guy's name or anything like that, but he said, uh, he said, I told Wyatt one day, Wyatt, why would you go to UVA? You like four wheeling and you like hunting, you like fishing, you like dipping. You go to UVA and you do that stuff, they'll make fun of you. Yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> true. And he, and he actually talked about how um, UVA, at least in, in Wyatt's kind of perspective, they don't appreciate the football team as much as Tech does. Mm-hmm. Tech almost worships these guys. The, 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 the students love the football team. The students love the athletes, and they love going to the games, and they do anything they can to, to make the football players happy because that's just kind of what Tech is. But he talked about how UVA, they kind of looked down on the football I, guys. They told them they shouldn't be there, that they weren't smart enough to be there. I, I can certainly see some people who go to UVA just for the academics, and it's got so much academic prestige. I can see a lot of their, the students there looking down their noses at the football players because a lot of those guys could not get into school there if they weren't football players. I could definitely see that happening at UVA. Um, and I, I'd never really thought about that before uh, until until Wyatt brought that up. Yeah. So how, how will you guys really remember Wyatt? Oh, is 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 the most physically dominant offensive line that I've seen at Virginia Tech. Like I said, you know, Jim Pine he was ten. I was ten years old when he graduated, so I can't really uh, comment too much about on that. But I think as far as pure physical dominance, I, I don't think there's been a better offensive lineman at Virginia Tech that I have seen personally. I think you know what what class did Wyatt sign in? That would have been the twenty thirteen. 2013, uh, I think as the program under Frank Beamer started to, as the talent, as the aggregate talent level started to drop and the record started to go from 10 wins to seven wins, there were a few uh, recruits who kept it from being worse. And he was one of them. Wyatt yeah. was one of those guys. Yeah. Isaiah Ford was one of those Jack guys. Phillips. You know, if, if you spend some time and really think, even as, as, as you know, and, and and I know nobody over in Blacksburg wants to hear this. Some tech fans don't want to hear it, but the talent level dropped. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we we've done many articles that's, and a lot of analysis. That's of an this. objective fact. You know, uh, there were there were some guys that that became more critical than ever that they get him, and he was probably one of those guys. Yeah. Um. So and he was just the the thing about why it is he could have been so much fun behind a microphone, but they just. Uh, he got to do some interviews, but and not then every a lot. time he did, he would say something. That, oh, he was a little too honest, and then cause, I mean, the, Wyatt has never been a BS guy. Right. Wyatt's never going to BS you about anything. Yeah. And you know, in in today's modern age of PR and public and, controlling and, and, the message, you yes, making sure that you control the message and keep um, unsavory things from getting out there. Nobody knows wants to know what the sausage, how the sausage is made. They just want to eat it. Um, you know. Wyatt was kind of taken away from the microphone because Wyatt did have a propensity to talk and Wyatt loved to, to talk and he loved to, to just, 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 you know, blab about anything because Wyatt's a very open guy. And that was one of the things that I, that I kind of wish we had been able to do more of is talking to Wyatt, um, whether it be at a press conference or whether it be in a breakout interview, either one, Wyatt was pretty good at. Yeah. And, and if you had a team full of Wyatt tellers, yeah, you'd have a legit uh, college football playoff contender. You know, uh, a, a guy like Wyatt, you know, honestly, I don't. I don't mean this to say that I don't mean tech football is boring because it's not. It's more exciting now than it was a few years ago. Oh yeah. Uh, but there's less access into the program. It almost feels like the program has less character to it because all you see 
is what the PR department puts there in front of you. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, there are no more open Definitely. scrimmages. Uh, you know, there's no more BeamerBall.com. Uh, you know, even their interviews in front of the media, or they put them up there on a podium, and it's almost like they're scripted. Uh, Tim Settle was actually one of the best ones r- at the podium. Right, right, exactly. So are we going to hear Oscar Bradburn again? Uh, you know, because he was a lot of fun. You know, right. it's, <laughs> it's actually funny. So that he, about the last time he, they put him up there, what did he say? Rubber. No, no, <laughs> no. no, no, no are, we a wide, are we that talking was, about Wyatt or no, Oscar? No, no, Oscar. That was preseason. Yeah. Um, during the season, he said he was going to light somebody's ass up yeah, or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, he, yeah. Said he, was gonna, yeah, he said he was going to take care of somebody. But no, no, see, that's awesome. That adds color to your football. That, that makes me feel closer to the team. When you put a guy like Wyatt or Oscar Bradbourne or Settle or pe- and people like that. Reggie Floyd, I thought, was really good. Reggie Floyd is pretty good at uh, the podium. When you put guys out, it makes it, makes it feel more human. Yeah. So, so, some people they put up there, some of their more experienced interviewers that they want to put up there no matter what, they, they, they're just – trained to talk like robots and it's just like Boring. i'm losing interest just get me to saturday win the game uh cam phillips was another guy who was pretty he good was, he was it. a good that's interview true. too that's true right it's uh, also a flashy dresser he is a flashy dresser uh, <laughs> so i think people like wyatt teller in this day and age of pr i think add a little character a little humanness if you will to your uh, to your football and that's program. part of the reason why he was a fan favorite right because because people were able to relate to Wyatt because yeah. Wyatt was you know a little rugged around the edges and, and he was a guy who you know did, can, can you imagine if Corey Moore was on the team right now oh, in this man. day and age Remember when we would when never he, talk to Corey Moore ever. Remember, remember, remember when he went down to the Sugar Bowl and told the BD to yeah. shut the f up. I mean, can you How imagine you doing, that? Can you, can, yeah. can you imagine if that happened today? Oh man, that would be that would. I mean, that would embarrass some people. I, but it'd be absolutely hilarious. Right, right. It's not like he's out there hurting I mean, anybody, I mean, doing granted, any bad things off the field. He adds color. He adds life to no. your program. I, 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 they, I mean, they, they would put they would put Corey Moore in a box these days and never let him talk to the media. A, Oh man! It As was, a media member, tragic. I wouldn't appreciate him telling me to shut the f up. But I did appreciate. I've seen video of Corey Moore's interviews. Yeah, I did on, appreciate it. It's on YouTube. Yeah, but it, it, it would be a tragedy if a guy like Corey Moore came through today's world and was just <laughs> boxed up Sheltered in a corner and, from and never well, put in the public you know, light. We're just going to go out there to tear dome and work hard and just try <laughs> to get better. Just play you know? tough, and we just got to execute better. Yeah. Hey man, Clemson. how you doing, Randy? Clemson. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks. That's all the time we have for this podcast. Remember, if you haven't gone and read the Wyatt Teller and Tim Settle stories, if you're a subscriber, go read those now. Those are available to TSL Pass subscribers only. Uh, again, Virginia Tech men's basketball no, at Notre Dame Saturday, January 27th, 8 p.m. on ESPN two. So there's no excuse for you to miss that game. And make sure you follow along with TSL. We'll have coverage of the basketball team and and continuing coverage of the football team as we work through this offseason and the recruiting. Signing day is coming up in, I guess, what? It's not not long from now. A couple of recruits that we're still waiting on to sign. Dax Hollyfield, Javante Jean-Baptiste, Anthony Grant's another one that we're still waiting on, so we'll see how that wraps up. But until next week, for Will Stewart, for Chris Coleman, I'm Ricky the Blue. Thanks for listening.